I'm an elder, considered an elder. Uh, here on my land, I live in southeast Pennsylvania. I do uh, poor sweat lodges here. And I work under what is called the Star Altar. We work uh, very closely with the Star people. You may know them as UFO. That means they're unidentified. <laughs> and I find that uh, almost comical because uh, we know who they are. Many of our native uh, ceremonies, and that doesn't just include Lakota, it's, it's uh, throughout the world our indigenous uh, have long known of these of the star people and the star relatives. If you're in Hawaii, they might say that they uh, come from the stars, if you're Hawaiian. Uh, so we do work uh, closely with the star relatives. There's many, 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 many nations. There are as many nations in the heavens as there are here on this earth, as above, so below. But that's not my total focus, uh, just part of uh, what we do here in, in terms of helping individuals to find their path, to heal themselves, and to move forward in a, in a very good way. Many of them come here sick. They come very sick. Our young people are uh, incredibly sick in some cases. Much of it has been uh, brought on by misunderstandings of nutrition and how nutrition serves the body. So we do work in that way as well. So we learn to sing and pray. We sing in Lakota. And uh, we also take a very fierce look at what are we doing with our lives that uh, could be fostering this ill health and what can we do to change that so that we can heal ourselves in the most uh, powerful way possible. And that's kind of what we do here. And I work with all ages. I think... Uh, the youngest uh, that comes to land is oftentimes uh, little ones, little little babies. And the oldest, uh, I think we have uh, a grandma who's 78. So we have uh, all ages in between that we work with. Wow. To come and sing and pray with us here. Uh, the list of people is long. And I also have people that uh, have never stepped foot on this land that call me from all over the United States looking for help and oftentimes I can make little suggestions sometimes little small things that they can do that make a big impact in turning their health around because if they're feeling physically better uh, we find that they can perform their life's path a whole lot easier now there is the four spokes of the medicine wheel there's four spokes of the medicine wheel um is uh, done in four colors, four different colors for our people, for here, uh, red, yellow, black, and white. But those uh, also represent uh, the four virtues, uh, four elements. The four elements would be um, west would be black, north would be white, east would be yellow, south would be red. But they also uh, represent, let's say, north with that white would represent all things of the heart. East is all things of the mind. 
that mental clarity. South, all things of the red, the physical aspects. And to the west would be black, all things of spirit. And we heard someone speaking a little earlier about a spiritual path. Many people might start there to make a healthy whole, to uh, heal all parts of their self. I choose to start with the physical, which is in the red, the south. If we can help people to become a little physically better, feel physically better, oftentimes we see that their spiritual self opens wide, their heart opens and their compassion comes merging through, and including their passion, that fire within them. And uh, likewise, their mind becomes more mentally clear, and uh, they are more healed in a whole, whole and natural way. But that's just where I choose to start. That doesn't mean that's always the place to start, and sometimes I have started with an individual in a different direction. But typically, I make sure they're in good, healthy form, and the rest of it sort of falls into place. That's just how I do it here. So why do I do it here? Why do I? Uh, to know a little bit about me, uh, my husband, children, and I, we were chemically injured many, many years ago. Uh, I want to say almost 30-some 30, 30 years ago now. Uh, that was. I'm sure you've heard of these stories by now where a whole house becomes contaminated and whole family poisoned. We were one, oh, of, yeah. those very, one of those very early, early families. I can read and I can write and I can walk and I can talk now. All of us were very badly damaged, extremely damaged. Uh, my children today, one holds a doctorate, the other holds her master's. My husband did not survive that injury. So there was healing. There was a, an enormous uh, turnaround. And my children, by the way, were very, very hardcore neurotox patients. They were, they were brain poisoned for all intents and purposes. That's the easiest way to describe it. Very difficult. And they're very lovely young women today and very successful women today. Uh, but it took a lot of work to get there and a lot of understanding when it didn't come handed to any of us on a silver platter. When we were uh, injured uh, at the uh, at ER, we were at ER. When I woke up from my coma, I discovered I had a whole family just like me and they didn't know what to do. The physicians truly did not have a protocol in place and they still do not. What do they do with this family? What can they do? So it was uh, really relying on the higher powers, relying on spirit to guide us and lead us out of that horrendous situation we were in. We battled things like confusion, inability to concentrate, speech disorders, eating disorders, night sweats, tremors, seizures, muscle spasms, bone pain. Muscle spasms, by the way, were so violent that it would pull our bones right out of their socket. Teeth fell out. Uh, two of us experienced uh, blindness. I was totally blind. 
Uh, the list was so very, very long. Very long. But here I am. I'm here. So I'd like to offer up the kinds of things that we did, because uh, way back 30 years ago, I felt if this happened to me, it surely had to happen to many others. I'd never heard of them before, but I was convinced that it had to happen to other people, too. And I was also convinced that um, they, too, were met with the same uh, difficulties, that there was no medical protocol. And I also felt that while we received a massive dose all in one day, I believed in my heart of hearts many were receiving low doses over a long period of time. So there are many Barbara Morningstars throughout the United States and the industrialized world today that were not receiving the help they needed to heal themselves. So today, I work with people, and they may not necessarily come and say, oh, I've been chemically injured. They just come sick. And I use some of the same techniques that I use for my family that helped us in this very beautiful way to help the others who surely did come. And uh, some of those same techniques we found uh, very beneficial. So I'm proud to say that we have a number of individuals of all ages whether they were born with congenital birth defects, whether they were born with uh, and, and had injury healthy and born born healthy and then had uh, injuries later, or whether they just slowly uh, were absorbed into that world of being chronically ill and uh, turning them around through prayer and through song and through minor changes diet and lifestyle changes. I don't like to call it a diet, actually. I like to call it uh, a way of life. Heal yourselves. So that's what we do. And we've been doing it here for a very long time. I'm also a sun dancer, so I do go to Sundance uh, and dance uh, and pray for the people. I'm also a Chinupa carrier, a holy pipe carrier. A chinupa carrier, a holy pipe carrier, some of you have heard it is a peace pipe. We don't call it that. It's not a peace pipe. This chinupa, this holy pipe. No, we don't smoke uh, tobacco in it, and we don't smoke other things in it to get high. We use uh, chinchasha, which is uh, red willow bark, the cadmium layer, the inner layer of the red willow bark, is scraped and dried in a sacred manner, and that is used in the pipe. So when you see the smoke that comes from that pipe, you are to remember the first breath that was breathed into the first man who was created. So therefore, you and me, we are indeed related. Matakiasi, it is so. So... We make relatives that way, and uh, we honor our relatives. If we uh, smoke the chanupa or sing, you know, chanupa, you are you know, like that, uh, you'll hear that word again and again, whether in song or in prayer. And we uh, make relatives and remind ourselves of our relatedness so we can care for one another.
and help heal one another in a good way. So uh, that's a little bit about me now. I'm the oldest girl of children, six children. Wow. My mother and, my mother and father recently uh, crossed to the other side. They were cute as all get out. <laughs> uh, I can imagine. <laughs> my parents were so adorable. <laughs> I was very blessed. Uh, I chose them well. Uh, we believe you choose your, your uh, family before you're ever born. Oftentimes to come here to fulfill... Uh, your sacred promise and to choose those individuals to assist you and sometimes to also restore uh, your karmic debt, repay off your karmic debt uh, from past lives. Um, reincarnation or past life experiences are very central to our belief system. So we're here to reclaim ourselves, to bring forth our knowledge from eons and eons uh, you're, you're born knowing everything you need to know. Every single thing you need to know, you already know it. You're born knowing it. Your life experiences is nothing more than helping you to remember. Remember, remember who you are and why you're here and what is your sacred pathway and what are you to bring as your piece of the puzzle of this grand design that's opening before us. It's like that. So for those young ones who come, and I get a lot of them, oh, I hate my mother, and I get a lot of those. <laughs> I get a lot of those. And by the time I'm done with them, they're, they're, having a, they're restoring their relationships. We use spider medicine to help us with that. They restore oh, those relationships wow. with their, uh, uh, their families. They heal themselves that way, too. So they get healthy, and their thinking becomes healthy. Their mental clarity becomes in, in that way, and they, they begin to realize that many of the things that uh, they thought was uh, done to them uh, was really of their own choosing and their own doing. Mm. They called in those lessons. So I say we're no longer at the time of the most um, I'd say survival of the fittest we're no longer at that time put that turn that page move that chapter we're now entering into the time of the most personally responsible Mm. stand in who you are be who you are walk in an upright manner and accept those things that you've done to contribute to where you are today. And accept the lessons. Many of these things that we've gone through are nothing more than little life lessons anyway. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's I was just thinking hard. of all the things I was thinking might think of all the things I might have to own up to. <laughs> Not a pretty picture. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> We all have we all have these these things called karmic debt that we need to clear, so we can move into that dharmic uh, arena where the blessings will flow. So let's clear all that. Let's put that behind us and move forward, and recognize in the end there really is only one thing, and that's love. And uh, uh, love yourself, and that's a real hard one for some people. I find it's also very hard to understand how they can go 
forward that they'd say, oh, but it's free will, you know, I have free will. I hear that all the time, too. Well, I have a little formula for those who don't understand it when I verbalize it. And let's do a little math problem for those who want to be left brain about the whole thing. Free will plus respect equals harmony. It's that simple. Free will plus respect equals harmony. Free will minus respect equals chaos. And when there's all this chaos going on, you step in a place and there's all this chaos, I can assure you it's because at least one person is demonstrating disrespect. So there's a confusion about what is free will. Free will does not mean doing what you want to do when you want to do it. Oh, no, 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 no. That is not what free will means. Free will means doing what enlivens your heart, but with respect to those around you. So now I have to teach respect. <laughs> they there sometimes you go. come with my respect. So how do I do that? I stand in front of these guys, and some of them are so disrespectful. They're all in, they're entitled. They're this. They're that. I have to stand before them with tremendous respect and ask something of them. And once they feel that, once they feel you stand before them with extraordinary respect, they finally get it. Sometimes it takes more than once, and we do that. We honor each other in such respectful ways here. And when that's done in that way, they soon capture the concept of what is respect. I'm finding a lot of our young people who come here, they have no idea what is respect because they haven't been shown any. So that's what I do. Yeah, there you go. And that's what I expect, that's what I expect of all of us to do with each other, stand uh, in front of each other with extraordinary respect. <laughs> Excuse me, I got a little doggy. Well, you know, uh, with here, you're right. We have, uh, uh, we have our earth guardians, our star guardians. We have uh, all the angels, archangels, ascended masters, all the way up to creator's heart. We have many, many helpers. And uh, we call upon Tukkanshila, uh, we call upon uh, Tungashila, which tr- literally translates as grandfather. And I, I let everyone know uh, that each and every one of you uh, have all of your grandmother's grandfathers surrounding you. They're on the other side, but they can do so much more than those who can on this physical realm, this 3D realm that, that we live in. And they're here to assist you and help you. Your grandfathers are always in front of you. They're leading you one foot in front of the other to your sacred pathway. If you'd only listen. <laughs> wow. And your grandmothers are behind you. And they're like the wisdom keepers. They are the ones who are keeping track of everything you do and say. Without judgment, I might add. They do, they do do that and still love you. Love you without measure. However, they're keeping track of you, but they're behind you. They've got your back, and uh, they're loving you. They're sending love to you all the time. Open your heart and feel it. So we have that. Uh, the grandmothers and grandfathers are, are, uh, are just leading you, walking with you through your lifetime. So, 
And I believe that a collection of information may go into your your um, your book of life. That I think there's a they call it Kashik record. I think is what some people call it. Uh, so it's there as your permanent record of everything you've done and everything you've said. And prayerfully, there's many good things in there. Let's try to create some good things. Because Absolutely. that travels with you. That travels with you into your soul experience. Uh, your, when you do your spirit walk and when you go to the beyond beyond. So let's put some good things in there. So you can feel good about yourself. And everything that happened yesterday is yesterday's news. I don't want to hear about it. Today is the first day. Today is the only day we have. Tomorrow, we don't know what's going to be there yet, but we do have today. This moment, this very moment for every moment is holy. So let's walk this moment in our most holy way. For all of us are very sacred beings. We heard earlier about a sacred plant. I have many that did not use those plants in a sacred manner. They abused those plants. They've made a mess out of their lives. And uh, instead, we do some other healing things. I'm not here to tell anyone how to live their life, that's for sure. Uh, but I am here to offer suggestions as to how to open yourself to your spiritual self and how to free yourself to be all that you can be. So, okay. So where did that all begin? It began for me as a little girl. I had many good teachers, and that's been my blessing. Uh, they would say to me, when you walk the red road, you will need to know this thing. And they would share something with me. When you walk the red road... Well, I was over here in the east, separated from relatives in the west. And I knew I had relatives out there. And when I got married, my husband promised me, as part of our marriage, he promised me that he would take me to uh, the west to find my, my family, my, my relatives there. I had lots of relatives here in the east. Uh, and why? Because Kaya Morningstar, my grandma, she walked that long walk from out west to the east. She came uh, to the east really for a very uh, singular purpose, and that was to find help for her relatives out west who were starving. She was uh, expecting a baby. She was pregnant and walked that long walk. And she came to a little place, uh, she actually decided that she would go towards Baltimore, not to go towards Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. would be uh, the government. She wanted to go to the people. And she heard there were lots of people in this great city of Baltimore. So she walked in that way. Just west of Baltimore City, she ran into a little crossroads there. It's called Texas. Texas, Maryland. And she thought that would be a good place for a lone star to be. That lonely morning star woman. 
So she found a place to stay in Texas, uh, Maryland, and that became her base of operation. And she spoke to area congregations and civic organizations and all those who had the ears to hear. Many of them had never met a real live Indian before. So she was a bit of a novelty, yes, but she did appeal to some who were helpful, including and especially uh, the Quaker uh, folks who lived not far from Texas, Maryland. It was always her intention to go back to her people. But the longer she stayed and did her work, the sicker she became. Yes, she had a little girl, uh, this little little baby girl, and uh, she took care of her little one. David Price served as her translator uh, because she only spoke, only spoke in Lakota, and uh, she was able to find that help, like I said, for blankets, food materials to make warm clothing, the things that uh, the people that she left behind so desperately needed at that time. So, okay, she got sicker and sicker and sicker. She passed away before I was born, so I never met her, but I had relatives to tell me all about her. And, uh, Kaya Morningstar eventually passed away in a wooden wheelchair, so very crippled. She could not walk back. She couldn't ride back. And that is where she is to this day. Her remains are not terribly far from where she lived in Texas, Maryland. Wow. Boy, somebody ought to make a, a motion picture about her life. A very interesting woman, I am told. So, or a okay. stamp. Or a <laughs> there you stamp. go. Not a good, yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. So, Kaya, uh, she this sickness that came over her, she blamed it on what she called the white man's food. And interestingly enough, as I was a child, and since I was the only one in my generation born at the time of the Morning Star, and therefore have the Morning Star name, whereas my other girls in the families, you know, there's Megan Star and Pamela Star and Lydia Star, there's all these star girls in our family that was instructed, uh, we were instructed to do things in that way, so we could always remember who we were. And uh, other little prophetic things that came about, you know, as we were growing up, uh, many of them were not taught these things as it was specific that the Morning Star would be taught these things and each generation, the next Morning Star and the next and the next, like that. Because uh, truthfully, if we spoke of these things or spoke in our language or sang our songs or did or me teach what these things I'm teaching even now today, that would be considered a federal offense. And that was... Uh, this is in my lifetime. This is in oh, my yeah. lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. You get shot for doing a ghost dance. Right, and that was a 30-year prison sentence, hardcore prison. For the women, they mostly put us in the same asylums and things like that. It was not okay to be an Indian. Uh, so, 
Okay, so we had to be pretty secretive how we shared information. And we did it in a sacred manner, in a sacred way. So I often heard the, the elders say to me, you will need to know this thing. But they looked around to make sure nobody else was listening. Even some of their husbands and wives who could have turned us in. You see? So it was like that. And uh, these things that I was taught, one of them was when the eagle flies to the moon, when the eagle comes close to the moon, when the eagle circles the moon, depending on which one was teaching me at that time, that will begin the waking of the sleepy time. So as a little girl, hearing some of those little girl fairy tales, I thought, oh, that's like a sleeping beauty thing. You know, Sleeping Beauty is going to fall asleep down by the, in the soft, mossy bank, and all the people will go to sleep with her, and, and maybe they'll wake up one day when the eagle flies to the moon. And at that time in history, way back when, uh, an eagle, find an eagle flying in the sky. There were no eagles in the sky. I would lay in my father's field and, and look up and watch and watch and watch for an eagle and never see one. Close to the nation's capital. And there were no eagles. You see? So I waited. And what did I wait for? I was told that I was not allowed to speak. I was not allowed to teach anything like I'm teaching you tonight. Nothing. Do nothing until everyone wakes from this sleepy time. You see? I was told that uh, I had to remain silent. And I'm wondering, huh, I can see why I have to remain silent, because you can get in big trouble. <laughs> big trouble. And no, no, I don't want to go out there and get in big trouble, and I don't want anybody else to be in big trouble. And if you get in big trouble, they find a good way to take your children away. That was a, that was a given. You were found unfit, and your children were taken from you, and things like that. So, okay, i got to be real silent, see, and just listen and learn and stay silent. And uh, so I did that for many years. And I waited for the eagle, and I waited and I waited to see that eagle. And I still did not see that eagle. So, okay, one day, I'm now I'm married, and I've got a little baby, and I'm sitting uh, in a living room with a lot of people, and we're sitting on the floor watching television, like many, many people were watching television and listening to radios. This was the day they supposedly landed on the moon, and the very first words that were spoken, the eagle has landed. And I looked at my husband. He shot a look at me. He'd heard that prophecy, and we knew. But how can this be? Because it's still a federal offense. But... That's okay. Later that year, Trump, 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 our native relatives, they go to Washington, D.C. This is after JFK had been shot, after Martin Luther King had been shot, after the 1963 Civil Rights Movement, after Robert Kennedy had been shot. And the question that was posed in Washington, D.C. is, while you're handing out these freedoms, do you think you can hand some freedoms to my people, too? Oh, what do you mean the people don't, you know, the native people don't have freedoms? 
Oh, no, we have no freedoms. Okay, so Congress, they got to go around and around for about nine years. And in 1978, the American Indian Freedom of Religion Act was passed. I get this. I get that. Thank you very much. So, okay, I understand now. Okay? But I was then told it's 1978. I have children that are going into middle school, you know, like that. And I'm told, oh, no, no. Still don't lose the tongue and speak. No, no. You must wait for not the pen of man, but the sign from Tukashua. That would be a birth of a white buffalo. We do not know when this white buffalo will be born, I was told. But we know it. this white buffalo will be born. An all-white buffalo that will change the colors of that of the medicine wheel, the red, yellow, black, and white. Start with white, then yellow, then red, then turn black. We know this. It will happen. And that will be your sign. If that buffalo is not born in your lifetime, then just look for the next morning star and teach the next morning star all these things that you have learned. But if the white buffalo is born in your lifetime, then you can lose the tongue and speak. See how that went? Well, Miracle was born in Janesville, Wisconsin in 1994, an all-white buffalo. And it made international news. And I knew, okay, but how can I speak when my relatives are out west and I'm here in the east? You see? So I didn't know, because I didn't find my relatives out west. But I noticed the roads were really red. I did notice that. In the east, there's black macadam robes, those ribbons that go all over your mother's back. But out west, those roads are red, that red road. Literal, literal and figurative translation of things is important. Okay? Understanding things literally and figuratively. Many of the prophecies are told in that way. Many. Literal, figurative. So, okay. When you walk the red road, you will need to know this thing. And here I'm walking in this black macadam road, see, and uh, go out west and discover the roads are red. <laughs> All righty now, I get this. I'm understanding things. Life events teach us as we go along what we need to know. It unlocks that knowingness, that memory, like that. So, okay, here I am. I'm walking on the black macadam road, these black ribbons. And I'm very aware of that prophecy of the black snake cutting through the West. I thought that that was the black snake, was the black ribbons that you would know as roads. Oh, no, no, no. I now know what the black snake is. It took me a long time to figure that one out. We call them pipelines. If the black snake travels through the sacred lands, there would be the end of the way of life as we know it. So there are many who are out there today in North Dakota, standing strong with Standing Rock, to bring awareness to the dangers and the threat to our, 
are water. Water is indeed life. And without water, none of us live. That's true. So there's many that are congregating. There's 200 native families, native uh, nations, excuse me, that are gathering up in in North Dakota today, this very day, uh, trying very hard through song and prayer and peaceful approach to uh, bring awareness to the plight of the native people that once again had the treaty treaties broken. Every treaty has been broken, and again treaties are being broken. And they're saying, no, no, that's enough now. No more treaties broken. Honor these people. And they're also bringing awareness to the importance of preserving our, our waters for the well-being of all life, all living, all creation. We've contaminated enough of this land. And uh, we need to be very cognizant and very sure of how we care for our water. Mini, M-N-I, Mini, Lakota word for water. Not Minnie Mouse, Mini. Mini Choni, that's sacred waters, living waters, like that, see? So they're up there right now as we speak on this very night. And I was fully aware as a child, I had a teacher once telling me that one day people will be buying water. And I thought that was absurd. I'd never heard of such a thing. So much water, so much good water. How could that be? So what are we doing? We're putting it in plastic bottles, which are very, very toxic, and we're drinking this water that we pay for. Huh. Just like I was told so many, many years ago. It's true. Many people had that foresight where they could see where we were heading because they were looking beyond themselves. And they knew, they instinctively knew, this beautiful teacher that I had, she knew, she understood that every word we speak and every, every action we take will be felt for seven full generations. So consider your children and your grandchildren and the unborn and the unborn for seven full generations when you decide to do anything. Know that you will impact many lives in the future by just a simple statement. So be careful what you say and be careful what you do for the safety and well-being of your relatives to come and for those who are walking to their futures. Do it with great consideration and respect. That's that word, respect, again. So, okay, that's kind of a native way. That's a Lakota way. We do it the, this way, my friend. The very first song that we sing is the protection song. And the protection song, Koda, Takikeda. What, what are we saying there? We're not just making sounds, they're actual words, they're meanings. Friend, we do it this way. And we're doing the things the way that our grandfathers and great-grandfathers and those way back in time, thousands of years have done. 
trying very hard. Oh, yeah, our teepees might say Coleman, <laughs> you know, might say other names on it, like that. But we still try very, very hard in this changing world we all share to still bring forth the traditional ways that have been taught to us by our elders and maintaining those understandings for not only for our lives to be walking in a good way, but for all those yet to come. So like that, see? Elders really matter. If somebody is one minute older than yourself, they are your elder. And to be treated with that respect. So these grandmas, these unchis, grandmothers, these unchis, unchis, these unchis, these grandmothers, uh, hear them. Listen to your grandma. If you don't have a grandma, I can guarantee you there's a grandma around the corner from where you live. Find a grandma. A grandma doesn't have to be a biological one. A grandma can be a spiritual one for you. Hear them. They carry great wisdom. They carry great knowledge. The grandmothers and the grandfathers, they do. But in Lakota way, back in the teepee days, those grandfathers, they taught, well, they stayed back at the camp at the village. Uh, the young men, they went out and hunted. And the women stayed close by, and they gathered the hunter-gatherer of our society. So the men were the hunters, and the women were the gatherers. Those hunters had a very dangerous, dangerous vocation. Sometimes they didn't come home. It was a dangerous place. The women, they would take their little babies that are nursing with them, that's, you call them little papooses, and they have their little cradle boards. They took those babies with them in their, in their forays to gather. But back at the village would be the grandmothers and the grandfathers and the, and the little kids. And the grandfathers, they taught all things of the sky, and the grandmothers, they taught all things of the earth, Father, Sky, Mother, Earth. So the grandmothers and grandfathers served as the daycare, and they served as the educational system. And today we have many young ones who are not listening to their grandparents. And interestingly enough, I'm discovering a lot of grandparents are failing to recognize the value of who they really are and the impact that they can have on those little ones. So teaching the grandmas to walk in a good way and be the teachers, teaching the grandfathers to recognize their sacred responsibility to the young ones and having the young ones understand how critically important it is to honor those elders and hear them. That's all part of the teaching they get here, too. Of course, I have a grandma stick. It hangs on my altar. <laughs> a grandma stick, and they all laugh at Oh, oh, she's going to get her grandma stick. Oh, oh. The grandma stick that I have is uh, it's a twig, <laughs> just a little twig. 
it has a, you know, just a little, little tiny twig, about the size of it, around as your little finger, and maybe as long as a little ruler, a little 12-inch ruler. That's my grandma's stick. <laughs> and uh, you don't want me to come after you with my grandma's stick. Uh-uh. <laughs> and they all laugh. It's a... Uh, it's just a little grandma stick, and well, I'll bet, I I'll bet you know. I bet you know how to use it. Well, <laughs> I do stand in front of them, and a ho ho. When a grandma yep. does that, everybody stops. Everybody stops in unison, and they look at the person that you're directing your sight to. They all stop. That's how you correct children. You don't give them a lecture. You don't do anything. You know, the the aunties and the uncles are more the disciplinarians. Uh, so right. in this circle that I have, the aunties and the uncles, that's their job. If they see the children, the little ones, uh, doing something disrespectful, they nudge them a little bit. You know, like you don't want grandma to see that, uh, that kind of thing. And I'll watch. I'll see the parents say something to the child. I'll see the aunties and the uncles say things to the child. And I'll see that, and that goes on for a little while. And then finally, I ho, ho, like that. And I sway my skirt, my arms folded, and everybody stops like they hold their breath, and they all look at the child. And I am too. And when the child turns around and they realize that shift has taken place, they turn around and look, and they see all those eyes on them. All the eyes are looking at them. I don't say, what are you doing? Are you not to do that? I don't say anything. No one says anything. We just look at them. We look at the child or group of children, and they stop what they're doing, and they can see them slink away. They go, ooh, and they slink away. They know what they did. You don't have to tell them what they did. They know. And they don't do it again. Uh-huh. Once, that, once that's been done in that way, those children don't do it again. But you also love them up later. Because love is ultimately the greatest cure. So that's how it's done. That's how the disciplining is done here. So my grandma stick still stays on the altar. I haven't had to take it down, not once. <laughs> A couple times I thought about it. <laughs> but I haven't had to. <laughs> so that's how we correct the little ones, and that's how we correct them. And it's usually Something when the grandma has that final word, everybody stops. Everybody just holds their breath, and it's like, yeah. oh, my. I'll bet you at least two of the three times you thought about taking it down was probably when your husband was still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, um, my husband was quite charming. He was a lovely man. Um, very bright. Very bright, very intelligent, uh, tall. He played basketball for a university. He was a very bright, intelligent man, uh, handsome. Uh, after he was injured and injured so badly, and he was a very good provider, I might add. He really provided well. He took that role very seriously. And after he was injured and he couldn't function on any level, uh, it's like someone pulled that rug out from underneath of him. And the last three years of his life, I'm sorry to say, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow I'm going to die. And he did. He could not cope with the tremendous loss of himself. It was a horrible, horrible time in our life. Making it uh, so horrible is that we became very chemically sensitive, and we became sensitive to the whole world. 
we were about 580,000 times more sensitive than the normal population. What do you eat? Where do you go? What, do you, what, do you, what clothes do you wear? Uh, even the eyeglasses where they touched your skin would blister you. Um, things like uh, hairspray, toothpaste, cleaning supplies, laundry detergents, floor waxes, inks, dyes, perfumes, all that. Every bit of it would cause severe reactions, and those reactions were sometimes, and very often, life-threatening. So I learned what was toxic in that toxic world. It was imposed upon me to please pay attention to the foods that made Kaya so very sick. What is it about the food that made her so very sick? Because we were seeing it, the same thing coming in her descendants. And, we, and it was imposed upon me as the morning started to pay attention and learn. So I pray and pray and pray and ask for help and understanding what is it about the food that's making my people so sick. If you're on the reservation, 80% of all men, women, and children are diabetic. One-third of the males are alcoholic. And uh, certainly... Many of the women are also. However, what have I learned in paying attention as a child? I learned that we could not digest cow's milk. Of course, that made sense to me. In the teepee days when we were the hunter-gatherers, do you think we took along a pretty cow with a bell around its neck? No, we did not. Once those babies were weaned, from the mother's breast milk, they never experienced milk again in their diet. So here now, in order for every school to be federally subsidized for the school lunch program, milk has to be offered to every child. And we're seeing our children, our Lakota and Dakota and Nakota children, as well as many indigenous from across this land, this Turtle Island, North America. We're seeing them very sick. And it's oftentimes when young ones come here to my land, and not all of them are native, I'll see them. They look bloated. They, uh, they don't look heavy to me. They look bloated. They look bloated. They're confused. They can't think. They complain that their joints hurt and they ache. They're 10 years old and their joints ache, you know, like that. So I'd look at them. It's like you can see it across the room. I suggest to their parents they might try taking milk away from their diet just to see what happens. It takes about four days for most foods to clear itself from your system. And if I'm right, that child should feel a lot better on the fourth day. But be careful because they will... Tend if they're if we're right about it, they'll actually go through a form of withdrawal where they might not feel so good on the second or third day. It lasts for about 24 hours, 12 hours being particularly difficult. But once they get through that hard part, um, they break through that wall and they wake up. And what happens is these beautiful children who have a problem with milk, and not all of them do, but those who do, they wake up. They simply wake up. The longest it's taken me to help a child with autism is 10 days. 
you may wake up. So, okay, when I was sensitive, really sensitive to the whole wide world like that, uh, it was the greatest teaching I ever received, as hard as it was, and lasted for many, many, many years, and I'm still more sensitive than a normal population, but not quite as severely as I once was. It was a great teaching, and I thank Tumkasha every day. I thank those grandmothers and grandfathers for keeping me alive through it and helping me to learn what does what. Which foods can cause what? So milk aggravates the mucous membranes and causes fluids to form in the ears, throat, chest, lungs. You'll hear a child hacking <coughs> and sniffling and snotty, runny nose, all that, all that, all that. And they are chronically, chronic ear infections. They had the ear infections as babies, one after another, antibiotic after antibiotic. And when that failed, okay, we'll put shunts on the ears. And no one thought to take away the cow's milk. See? Bronchitis, pneumonia, all those upper respiratory problems. When you have someone that has a pneumonia, the last thing you want to do is give them milk at the same time. That only causes more fluids to form in the lungs. See? So, okay, if you don't catch that when they're the toddlers and the little fellas, by the time they're in elementary school, then they complain, my tummy hurts, my tummy hurts. And everyone wants to send them to the school psychologist because it magically always works, affects them. They complain uh, right after lunch in their math class. So maybe they've got an attitude about math. So let's take them to the school psychologist to get over their, their affinity for math. When maybe it's what they ate or drank at lunch. You see? Yeah. So when you you allow that child to continue with my tummy hurts and there's nothing wrong with you and the doctor said there's nothing wrong with you, you're just trying to get out of going to school, you know, yeah, all that, the stress that child feels, and by the way, it's very stressful to be sick, so they're already feeling stress without getting more, and then all of a sudden they're more grown up and they become adults and then they have bowel problems and diarrhea and then eventually, uh, if they're still not corrected, look out, you might develop Crohn's disease. Irritable bowel syndrome might make you wish you were dead, but Crohn's disease can kill you. And there are many, many who are just learning now for the first time what we mean by lactose intolerant. So they go out and they buy lactate and they do all this and all that, all that, all that, you know. Uh, I'm all about, if you're sensitive to cow's milk, then leave it alone. But I like my ice cream. Okay, then you're choosing to be sick. That's your choice. If you're choosing to be sick, okay. But usually once they uh, remove, let's say those who have come here and they're sick in those ways, and by the way, they're mentally cloudy, really cloudy. Uh, so once we remove them uh, from, or they remove it from themselves, actually, I don't do anything like that. They remove it from themselves. They... Uh, will wake up on the fourth day, they mentally were more clear, 
They notice that their joints don't hurt. They have more energy. They feel alive. And they feel well. They feel free. I have a woman today, she's in her 50s, who just did that. And uh, she still calls me every day. She calls me and cries and thanks me. I can't believe how much better I feel than she. I can't believe the difference just by taking away that one food. So that means cheese and, and ice cream and sour cream and, and uh, cottage cheese and those things, which was her mainstay, she said, for many years. And she uh, also lost a lot of weight and felt good. And she looks good. Her skin has cleared up. Oh, my, what a difference. Her hair has gotten beautiful. I see that again and again and again and again. That's just one, one food. What are some other ones I look for is wheat. Wheat, W-H-E-A-T, wheat. It's in everything. It's in all the gravies and pastas and breads and things like that. Okay, um, a lot of, that's the new buzzword out there is, oh, we're going to do gluten-free. Please don't do that. Please don't. I don't want to hear that word. That's the latest buzzword. Uh, if you're sensitive to wheat, it doesn't matter how gluten-free it is. Wheat is wheat is wheat. Okay. Hey, Lucy. And what is it? We're, yeah. we're gonna run. We're gonna run out of stream in about sixty seconds, and but just keep talking, and uh, uh, the uh, bumper music will start automatically. But we appreciate you coming on the show. All right. So that's what I do. We look for the foods uh, that could be causing problems, and we eliminate them, create a very healthy diet with them instead, and they get well, they get healthy, and their whole spiritual self opens wide, and uh, all sorts of beautiful things happen, and they uh, begin to dream dreams again, and they begin to uh, just be healthier, healthier all the way around, and they're free. They're finally free to be who they are. That's good to hear. That's the message people need to hear. Need to hear this. Yeah, and if anybody wants to uh, know, there's other foods out there. Uh, I'm pretty. There's uh, six big ones that I look for that are the primary culprits. And uh, other than that, uh, there could be. You can be sensitive to anything. It could be broccoli, but there are six I look for in particular. And you heard about one, and there's a long list of others. And uh, how do you heal yourself, and how do you create a healthy diet so you can finally be free to be who you are? That's what we do, and uh, they're beautiful people, and they love to, they love who they are once they find themselves. That's and, all I can tell you. And thank you so much. God bless, and uh, good night, everybody.